Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 49 with Herb May. Herb, I would probably describe as the epitome of LinkedIn networking. There's been so many positive things said about LinkedIn. There's been so many negatives. However, if you go back and, like I said at the end of this episode, take a look at how long he's actually been in esports, the meaningful connections and industry insights and knowledge he's been able to create, and the sheer amount of job offers that he's been provided with just proves the absolute power of meaningful networking, not asking too much from the people you're chatting with, and just becoming involved in conversations. We have a lot of discussion today about traditional sports and esports, ways that traditional codes teams, influencers, sports celebrities can get in. We have a bit of a meaningful chat about the influencer market as well, some of my issues with managers and such in that section. And we do a bit of around the grounds talking about multiple different things like esports facilities, investment, brands, and etc. For those who like to get a bit of a understanding on the whole market around the globe, look at a couple of, I guess we could call ourselves analysts within the space and what we think of what's happening, this is the perfect episode for you. So let's get straight into it. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Herb, May, mate, another connection that I have received through LinkedIn and very happy to do so. Welcome to the podcast. Man, it is so great to be here. I can't thank you enough to, to get the invite and to finally uh, meet you via Discord. I always try so hard to, A, when I mentor people, not try to be a self-help guru, and B, try not to seem like the traditional, you know, entrepreneur that will only teach people how to get rich and by getting rich themselves. Um, and in saying that, talk about LinkedIn too much. But, you know, like I said in this in the introduction just a few seconds ago, we are, you know, another match made in heaven through the lovely platform that is LinkedIn. How, how you know, important is it to you in business? Oh, man. Uh, I'd probably say I spend about 80 to 85% of my day on LinkedIn. Um, I, I think the, I think the resume is dead. I think email drives me crazy. I do all of my business on LinkedIn. And, um, I mean, it, it's incredibly important to what I do and I, I love to share information. I love to gather information. I, I love to communicate with people like yourself and, and create new relationships. I personally think it's one of the most important platforms of our generation. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so too. I mean, for me, I always like to give people direct examples. My, my first big client, uh, an esports education client who paid me more than, you know, thousand dollars for my opinion on esports. That was through LinkedIn. Um, what came soon after my first investment into my company that also came through LinkedIn. Um, and you know, I think I've chalked up at least three or four substantial clients through LinkedIn among you know a whole lot of different networking and resources. So for me, it's been a massive payoff. It's one of our largest revenue drivers. So. I you know often don't shut up about LinkedIn, but it's for a reason. No, I mean, and right, you know, I was uh, as you know, I'm coming from traditional sports professionally, and uh, when I I knew I wanted to break into the esports ecosystem, so I networked throughout LinkedIn with as many people as humanly possible. And and while I mean, hmm. there's a couple people that come directly to mind, but 
you know, I, I built out a database of about 200 people, uh, people that I could call on and, and, and uh, you know, get guidance from. And all of that came from LinkedIn. So it's been incredibly important to me and everything I've done uh, thus far. Yeah. And, and before we get into a bit more about yourself and your history, can you let me know a bit more about your notebook? I saw you showing it off on a LinkedIn video recently. Say, say that one more time. Can you let me know a little bit more about your notebook? I saw you showing it off recently. You, oh, you, my, yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my yellow notebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, the I basically have a stack of about six of them. Um, you know, uh, my old company had endless, endless stacks in the supply shelf. So, uh, you know, a one page per call, I would take a call and I would basically, you know, the, one of the names that, that comes to mind for me when, when talking about networking throughout the space is always Joanna Ferries, who's the commissioner of the Call of Duty League. And I'd set up a call with her and it took about 45 minutes and I loaded up the page with notes and things that she said and, and things that, that, mem- that I memorized um, and that stuck out to me and that I wanted to, to hold on to. And so, um, you know, those, those are like my Bible, my eSports Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's powerful, you know, networking to get yourself into a new industry. I think another example to add weight to that is, is James Breslin, who works with us here at Big eSports. He's also a partner of ours and leaving us soon to go work at FinTech in the UK. And he did exactly the same thing. You know, has no real substantial access to the fintech community, has no real substantial access to London and the UK itself, yet was able to land a job three months before he moved over there, be confirmed with contracts signed, just simply through doing exactly like what you said, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, asking them to share their opinions. People love their own words and people love their own opinions and especially in esports they're happy to share them so if you can be a sponge and soak that up like yourself you can start to land some jobs in the industry like yourself and progress from there right yeah and i think one of the most important things when networking on linkedin and one strategy that i always try to tell people that reach out to me and ask me how i do it is you just never ask for anything you know you just are there to be genuine and learn about somebody else. Everyone loves to talk about themselves in this world. So, you know, as long as you're being authentic about what you want to learn, why you want to learn it and and never ending with, Hey, can you do this for me? Mm. Or, Hey, I want this, you know, it just comes across as more authentic. There will be a time where you can ask for something, but never on that first call. Yeah. And that's so hard sometimes, right? When you're new to an industry, I remember, being so hungry to grow and so hungry as a solo consultant to get work that every single time I felt like if I didn't have a contract signed at the end of the meeting, I was failing. And ultimately, it's just a big trap because then no one wants to talk to exactly. you when you're so hungry and you're just hounding for a sale 24-7. Exactly. So we've already kicked off a bit of the podcast, but let's take a step back. Can you tell the listener audience a little bit about yourself and your history in gaming, business and sports and how it's relevant to where you're sitting right now? Certainly. Um, born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, diehard Baltimore Ravens fan. My first ever internship was as a scouting intern with the Baltimore Ravens. I uh, focused on rookie running backs and free agent safeties. Um, I followed that football passion to the University of Mississippi, where I was a coaching and recruiting assistant. Um, kind of got a weird taste of football in my mouth in college, uh, decided to step away after one year. Then I went to, uh, Wells Fargo where I did sports marketing for a summer, which was the summer of the world cup actually. And Wells Fargo's, uh, main, uh, title sponsor of the Mexico national team. So that was a a cool way to, a a great way to see a different side of sports on the sponsorship side. Mm. Um, went back to finish up at the University of Mississippi with a degree in marketing and communications. And then, uh, left, you know, right when I thought I didn't want to go work 
uh, in the NFL and the NFL anymore. Uh, I, I landed a job with the NFL <laughs> at a company called On Location Experiences. We were the uh, official hospitality. The, they are the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Um, I was selling Super Bowl tickets for the mm. last three Super Bowls, so I sold three Patriot Super Bowl tickets. <laughs> um, and did corporate hospitality as well. And then really, right when I graduated the University of Mississippi, uh, a mentor of mine sat me down and, and told me there are two key industries that I needed to look after um, if I wanted to really kind of make an impact in, in this world and, and kind of as, as in regards to what's coming. And those two things were esports and artificial intelligence. And I, I kind of was, I was stunned because I'd always played video games casually. I'm an Xbox console player myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, love sports games. I've always loved sports games. Um, NHL and Call of Duty are probably my, my two favorites. Um, but I, uh, was stunned, but I was intrigued. So probably over the last three years, I studied esports just day in and day out. And I just got more and more entrenched in what was coming, the innovation, the excitement, the, the growth opportunity. So, um, it was eventually time for me to, to close the chapter at the NFL and move into esports where I, basically picked up some pro bono work for a small little venue in uh, North Atlanta uh, here in in Georgia. And then after about doing that for a month, I picked up my role as the director of business development for Access Replay. And Mm -hmm. we're a 12,000 square foot gaming facility right in downtown Atlanta. Fantastic. So let's start off the discussion around the live esports facilities and Access Replay then. It seems to me to be such a trend happening globally right now that, you know, esports leagues, I guess, were the first things to professionalize and get big, looking at ESL being bought out by MTG and, you know, DreamHack and MLG being acquired by Blizzard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Then teams kind of came on the scene. They started raising these large seed rounds, then going into these $30 million Series A's, and now we're seeing, you know, Drake in 100 Thieves and now offset into phase and, you know, series B's and C's will be coming up very soon. But it seems that these permanent tournament facilities are a massive trend right now here in Australia. We have a gigantic one that's opening soon in a CBD location. Overseas, we've got people like Access Replay. You know, we've got um, the Esports Arena, HyperX Arena in Las Vegas. And I've even been on calls with people in Italy that are looking to do this kind of thing. Is this a sustainable trend, do you think? Is this something that's proven or is people still testing the market? They're still opening and hoping. Listen, I think there's a lot to be learned, uh, a lot to still be learned. The uh, I think there's a big difference between the words facility and arena. So Access Replay is 12,000 square feet and it's got 70, 70 or so systems. Um, and that's actually just in the initial concept. The the full fleshed out concept will be twenty thousand square feet with over a hundred systems to play on. Hmm. Um, I think that's actually the perfect size for uh, gaming facilities. You know, when when guys uh, go and they raise fifty million dollars to build out a massive arena or stadium, I really think that's the model. At least not yet. Mm-hmm. because I just think there's not enough going on on a regular basis to fill out a facility like that. And when you've got NBA teams that have a facility and a stadium already built, why, why waste the infrastructure in my mind? I think you know teams that we've noticed at Access Replay, there's been 22 professional teams that have utilized our facility from FaZe Clan to 100 Thieves to um, the 
Washington Justice, we, we had four of the eight homestand teams in Atlanta practice out of our facility. So, um, you know, building a casual gaming facility that has pro capability, I think, is the right model. Mm-hmm. Um, but going over twenty to 30,000 square feet, at least for the next five years, doesn't make a ton of sense. Yes, it's it's providing that stability in, in income and diversification revenue streams, right? Like the last podcast, uh, which is unreleased at the time of our discussion, but but um, bigesports.gg four seven for anyone listening to listen to Nick Bobber. You know, we talk about the absolute necessity of diversification income streams in esports teams, and it seems the same. You know, for your kind of platform, right? Does does that mean that someone like Axis should be looking or is looking at running an internet cafe that's combined with an arena and training facility you know what what does the main lines of revenue look like yes i mean i'm just right off the bat you know hourly gameplay where you know buy hourly game packs or you if you're you know spending over 14 hours a month uh in the facility then it makes sense for you to go ahead and, and lock up a monthly membership we do a lot of revenue with our corporate events as companies are looking to see how they can uh, get more integrated with esports. They do lunch and learns. They literally do live learn and plays, um, which is pretty funny to watch. Mm-hmm. But um, you know the the team relationships that we pulled in and the team partnerships, the boot camping is one thing that it, has been huge for us. So we had the Florida Mayhem, the Washington Justice, Atlanta Rain, and um, uh, the Philly Fusion all practicing out of our facility for homestand, and that was a big that was a big chunk of revenue for mm-hmm. us. And now. You know, we're in conversations with some of these pro teams, you know, regarding building out a professional, you know, a professional scale facility on on the side of our future facilities. Mm. So they have a home field to practice on, but they also are attached to a working living organisms that helps them generate a little revenue alongside. Yeah. And I guess that's another trend that you're seeing with so many teams, I guess, as part of the investor manifest for order here in Australia, who did a public crowdfunding, raised 300K AUD or thereabouts. You know, that was a main thing for them, a house of order. And you talk to pretty much any tier one, tier two team internationally that's looking to take on, on investment, they want to open one of these facilities. So do you think that it's advantageous for most of these to partner with someone like like you? Does it does it de-risk their operation a lot? I think it certainly does. It depends on what you're looking for. You know, we went down to Texas and took a look at the complexity gaming facility. That I think that thing is pretty outrageous. And listen, if you're if you're Jerry Jones, you can that doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> um, and you can just go ahead and build out an immaculate facility and that facility is going to matter. But then you look at Dignitas, Dignitas, you know, their facilities, what, like 2,100, 2,500 square feet. Um, mm. which, which isn't that big on the, on, on the, you know, on the grand scheme of things. So starting to work with teams who maybe aren't looking for a 15,000 square foot facility or a 30,000 square foot facility, but are looking for, three to four to 5,000 square feet. And we can include that in our 30,000 square foot model. I think wildly advantageous for the next five years. And then, you know, if they've got a big enough tournament in town, go see the Atlanta Hawks and be like, Hey, we got this coming up. If you're out out of season, we'd love to build out an event in your, in your stadium. I I think that's the smart model and the smart move for the next, at least five to six years. How, I guess I'll, I'll start this by saying, is is bigger better? And how do you determine the right size facility for the team? You know, this is, I get it. I was, I've just recently been in this kind of back and forth a lot where, um, you know, just coming from traditional sports, seeing what is, you know, arguably one of the bigger sporting events in the entire world, the Super Bowl now three years in a row, you know, that there's so much, I think there's a, an overarching expectation that Sometimes esports needs to follow traditional sports to be successful. And I don't find that to be the case at all in a lot of different areas. But one is definitely 
crowd size, right? Mm. You can pack a room with a thousand people and still have an electric atmosphere. I mean, mm. the the Atlanta homestand had twenty four hundred people in it, and it was one of the more electric things I've ever been I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. So it comes back to your question: Is bigger better? I don't really think so. I, I think you've got a, a a group of passionate fans who are out to see their favorite team, and you pack a room with a thousand people. The the energy just you can feel it. So. For right now, now listen, I also went to the Fortnite World Cup and that atmosphere was unbelievable. So there definitely is a, a market for bigger being better. Mm-hmm. But on the smaller end, uh, you know, the building out a tiny, building out a small facility that's, you know, two to 3,000 square feet attached to a 30,000 square foot facility that you can pack out with 500 to 1,000 people. I think that is, is plenty um, for, for where esports is currently today. Mm, mm. So what's what's next coming in these facility plays? You mentioned um, you know, people like Access Replay looking at going from twelve to twenty thousand. What are the main you know chess pieces that need to move for that to be a reality? In regards to in regards to like location? I mean just in general, I guess if you were to ask an esports team, you know, what are the couple of things that's holding them back from getting bigger? Primarily they would say, you know, A investment interest, B non endemic sponsors, C being able to capture more fans. Is it that easy to break it down for facilities to go from you know one strength to this upper scale and size i think um you right now in a twelve thousand square foot facility we've we've proven that it's an absolute need we actually haven't spent a, a ton on marketing we are a gaming facility but we do we are we are getting a liquor license to put the bar in um which, yeah. which brings an entirely new element to to what we're doing um and i I, th- I think at the end of the day, there, there's definite uh, there's a definite need to leave your house. So the question we continually get from investors is that why would anyone leave their house to do this? Yeah. Um, and we typically tend to throw it right back at them. It's like, okay, would you play by yourself in your on your golf simulator in your basement, hmm. or would you rather go out the course? Um, that's typically the question we throw right back. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, they there's an absolute need for this space. And especially guys who want to use pro style uh, equipment, you know, we have 1080 TI Alienwares with 10 G internet pipes and 240 Hertz Asus monitors. So, you know, we've got pro style equipment that some kids just can't afford, or, mm-hmm. you know, mom and dad aren't willing to buy that for them yet, or they just can't justify it. So mm-hmm. when you offer the ability to come spend $5 for an hour to play on the best equipment in the country, I just don't think there there's any there's anything that kind of compares to that. Yeah, and I I want to unpack what you were just saying about gamers coming out and going to live events. I think it's a uh, you know, it's it's obvious why they would come to that conclusion, and I would I generally say to people that the, you need to provide something of real substance and a real reason for them to come out. And I'm seeing this across, you know, every market with, you know, dare I say Gen Z and millennials. They don't want to just exit their house just because anymore. They don't want to just go to the pub just to have a beer. Right. There has to be something pulling them there. There needs to be some special thing that they can't experience at home by themselves. And touching on, like you said, with small crowds, you know, one of the loudest crowds I've ever seen in my life was the StarCraft Two World Championship Series in Sydney, Australia, at, that had Tasteless and Atosis commentating, easily the two most famous commentators on the planet at that period of time by a value, value of between 2 to 5x. And that was the loudest crowd I've ever seen in my life. It matched the atmosphere at the Intel Extreme Masters at QS Bank Arena with multiple international teams and 10,000 people sitting in the arena at any one time. But yeah. once again, it's a money can't buy or money can buy. 
experience that you simply can't get at home watching the game on Twitch TV by yourself. Absolutely not. And that's one of the other interesting things about this industry is that it's, uh, it's been just so accessible from the house, you know, right now the national football league is struggling with people going to the couch. You know, there's, there's a live experience isn't as exciting anymore. Ticket sales are, are generally down. The average age of an NFL fan is 56 years old and people are, are there's these massive monitors that are 70 inches, you know, 70 inches and Uber Eats brings you Buffalo wings right to your door. There's just no reason, to, <laughs> no reason to leave. Um, yeah. Yeah you know, esports is now taking that battle on head on trying to create that, that experience on, on such a mass, just like they did the Fortnite world cup. And when you've been watching it for a long time, the experiences that have been created, once you're there, once you've seen it live, once you, once you've had a taste of it, I mean, there really is nothing like being in a stadium uh, filled with those fans. Cause the passion hmm. they have is just, it's, it's really, it's intoxicating. And, it, and it's also that these gamers have never had a place to belong. If you think about the cliche, it's that the nerd school were bullied for liking these things, um, it, and it hasn't stopped them from liking it. Mm-hmm. But then when they're able to go to an esports bar, say like GG Easy here on Queen Street, Melbourne, where it's just like a sports bar, you don't really play any games there at all. There's one console cupboard, but it's primarily a sports bar with Twitch on the screens and game-centric drinks. And for me and my friends, we don't have any want or need to go to a sports bar whatsoever because to us the cliche is now flipped you know the sports fans the knucklehead that get, that drinks you know cheap beer and gets in fights over their favorite team winning and we're not interested in that now that i guess you know we kind of have the power and we're the consumers with the expendable income you know the double income no kids that these brands are looking to reach you know you need to start pandering to that new audience and i guess that opens up a next topic of discussion that I've been talking to Marcus Schneider about a bit, who's been involved in Penta in Germany and with Fox as a, as a CFO over there and discussing with him that just because a brand wants to get into esports and just because they may sponsor your favorite team or event or influencer does not mean that the users will connect. You need to provide a product, service and branding that is relevant to them. For example, if you're a car manufacturer that's known for producing gas guzzling cars that are ruining the environment with CO2 emissions, whether you you know believe that that kind of science or not, a lot of these Gen Zs aren't going to be interested because you're not providing a service that's interesting to them. Or if you're a big bank and you don't provide cash back on in-game purchases or a fun-friendly environment where people can use chatbots instead of going in person to these stores, they're not going to simply use your products just because you're throwing money at their favorite celebrities. Yeah, you know, I think everything comes back to authenticity, the way these brands are getting more integrated in whatever, you know, I, I use the term a lot. I think others do as well, just logo slapping, right? There's there's a lot of brands out there that mm. are so attracted to the demographic that esports is engaging. And there's such a need to just get a logo in there and, and, and to, and, uh, you know, like, oh, okay, now I'm endemic, right? Now I'm a part of esports and I should expect all these. Mm. Um, I think that's just, it's just not accurate. I, you know, I love what Nissan and FaZe did it, it, uh, it did in New York city. Um, I thought, you know, doing that wrap around the car and having everybody around it and literally just making a physical, t- a, you know, tangible moment was one way that, uh, you know, you can get involved authentically. 
Um, the things that DHL does, which I just, you never would have thought a brand like DHL would get so involved in, in something like League of Legends, but they do it so authentically and make it so meaningful. Mm. Um, brands like that are those that I said it the other day on a, on a comment on LinkedIn is that these are the brands, once books are starting to, writ, are starting to be written and, and starting to be studied, um, those are the brands that you'll, you'll start to mirror after. Uh, and those are the brands you'll start to study when, when learning all that stuff. Yeah. So expanding on the authentic entry into the esports angle, let's have a bit of a chat about traditional um, sports, you know, both codes um, as in different types of sports as well as teams. Can you give me an example of a way that you think a traditional sporting body has, has entered esports in an authentic and fantastic way? Sure. I, just the other day, I mean, at, as a Baltimore Ravens fan, it pains me to say it out loud, but the Pittsburgh Steelers are <laughs> are just taking esports head on um, with their purchase of the Pittsburgh Knights. Um, I think that is the ultimate way to get involved authentically, to go ahead and put your own money up and to support an organization within your own backyard um, and, and integrate with them on a bunch of different levels is, is really special. Now, the Pittsburgh Steelers have Juju Smith-Schuster, so that makes a lot of sense in, in the States. He's one of the bigger um, traditional sports, esports influencers, I guess you can say, um, uh, in, in the country. So mm. being able to collaborate with the Knights, uh, seeing that collaboration between the Knights and the Steelers, I think is one of the best, one of the best things we've seen. Um, and then also the NBA 2K League, uh, you know, that's an entire league that has gone ahead and, and 17 teams have bought into building out a game behind the game that they already play. Um, so it's, uh, it's been really unique to see how that league has developed and how, uh, and the excitement of, of the, of the finals this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of, man, there's a lot of different ways that, that traditional sports is, is getting involved in esports. Hmm. Um, but those are the two off the top of my head that I think are, are doing it really well. And I'd love to learn some more insights from you into the back end of this as to why these people are getting involved. It's such a common question. I get asked all the time, you know, in Australia, the Australian football league teams, there's two that own esports teams and the traditional sports codes or investors come to me and say, you know, why would the Essendon Bombers buy a League of Legends team? Why wouldn't Adelaide Crows? And I know that it's not always the same answer. For some, it's getting a younger audience. For some, it's a data play. For some, it's a capital play because they can buy and maybe sell the team in the future. For some, it's alternate streams of revenue that they can upsell their current brands to. But what what are you seeing over in the States right now? Is there one kind of method or mode that's ringing more true than others or is it equally spread? I think it's pretty equal spread. I think there's a bunch of different motives in getting involved. Um, you know, I think on the initial, the uh, the eyes and the demographic, at least from uh, from what I know best, being the NFL. Like I said, the average age of an NFL fan is 56 years old right now. It's a huge, mm. huge problem, especially when you've got an event like the Pro Bowl down in Orlando, which doesn't draw any eyes, and quite frankly, I think is run pretty poorly. Um, you know, the fact that they don't have um, all of their young streamers and athletes who, who also play within the league down there playing Fortnite and engaging their fans kind of baffles me a little bit. Mm. Um, so, you know, when you talk about uh, just ways that are why guys are getting, getting involved in esports, I think the, the eyes and the demographic are so, so important to, to what they are doing. And then, you know, these owners making investments because, 
the owners are making investments in my eyes because they can, and I don't think they want to miss the boat on something. Um, you know, is mm-hmm. the, is the Overwatch League? Are the teams going to make a, a forty million dollar return on investment in the next five years? I, I don't know. I would probably lean towards no. Um, but you know, the guys that have the power to make that investment are going to because this is exciting, and they don't want to miss the boat. And these brands are so engaging, and they bring in such a different vibe to 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 who they are as people. You know, like Offset investing in Phase Clan was like, I mean, God, what a perfect, you know, what a perfect uh, joint collaboration there mm. um, for someone who's so popular like Offset, and then a brand that's just so disruptive like Phase Clan. Um, you know, these investments are are this is just the new cool hip thing right now. These athletes, um, these these esports athletes, these athletes, as one of my coworkers call, <laughs> calls them, um, they're rock stars now, and they're. Absolute rock stars, and 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 guys don't want to miss the boat. They want to be involved in something cool. I've I've seen some people discussing online that you know maybe the age of brands, quote unquote, overpaying for sports is over, and that a lot of times brands get involved in sports because their CMO is a big fan of the sport or the team, um, and they just see it as something interesting to become involved in. But also looking back to the eighties, nineties, and noughties, sports was the absolute coolest thing you could be involved in being access, you know, getting access, sorry, to those people who are massive influencers, sports stars, you know, getting free drinks and, and watching the largest games. And now maybe we're seeing that to start to go down a little bit. Do you think that's part of the pool for esports now, that you're much cooler standing next to banks than you are standing next to, you know, a national football draft? I think just the fact that you're asking, that you have to ask the question, it says, says a lot, you know, like a, a perfect example. And I don't know how big of a lacrosse fan you are. But um, a, a, good, a good buddy of mine, uh, his name is Miles Jones, and he's one of the better lacrosse players. To play. He, played at, he played at Duke, and now he's a part of the Premier Lacrosse League uh, and plays for the Chaos and is, is the face of Adidas Lacrosse and is one, probably one of the better lacrosse players of, of our generation. Mm-hmm. We, he's from Atlanta. We had a collaboration at Axis Replay when the PLL, the Premier Lacrosse League, came to Atlanta. Um, and we held a Fortnite tournament because he loves to play Fortnite, and it was just a great way for them to try and sell some tickets. <laughs> and you know, everyone kind of walks in, mm. says hello to Miles. Everyone's nervous to say hello to Miles. It's basically seeing, meeting their meeting their sports hero. And then the Fortnite comes on, and everyone's focused on the game. And it's he's up on stage talking. No one's listening. Everyone's playing Fortnite. So it was it was an interesting thing to see all the interest being taken away from him due to the actual game itself. And then, yeah, that being said, we, you know, for the Super Bowl, this was before my time, um, but I know that they uh, there was an event um, at Access Replay, and uh, Phase Clan was in town, and I believe it was uh, I believe it was Temper that stuck behind and, and played with a couple. Uh, there was a, a Champ Bailey's one of our investors, and we had some NFL stars there uh, at the event. And this kid, all he wanted to do was play Fortnite with Temper. Mm. And that's all. That's all he cared about. And that's and, and they sat there and they played for about a half an hour and forty five minutes from what I was told. And it was a really special moment. So I think a the fact that you have to ask the question is it says a lot of where we're at. And and b yes, I think there is a change in who the actual rock stars are these days. And guys like Juju Smith Schuster who are playing with the double whammy, who are big time streamers and have big time followings, and are also one of the best players in the NFL. Or are really really important uh, key guys to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's a that's a great story, and I'd like to back it up by the Australian Open tennis here in Australia it ran a five hundred thousand dollar Fortnite tournament that has caused a ridiculous amount of sporting codes here in Australia to prick their ears up and 
you know, ache to become involved in that market. And there's a great story from an Australian radio host and, and presenter and comedian called Dave Hughes, and he was playing with Laserbeam, who's got over 5 million subscribers on YouTube, a rabid fan base, and a bit of a, an Australian uh, running mouth on him, you could say. He's very Australian larrikin-type character. And when they were in the arena together, you know, there were thousands of fans, and they announced Dave Hughes' name, and there was a bit of a polite applause. And then sitting next to him, they announced Laserbeam, and the crowd goes absolutely wild. And... Later on, he has a mother come up to him and pass a note down to him. And he's like, oh, this is cool. I'm finally getting some attention. It must be some kind of love note or, you know, you're awesome. Can I get your signature kind of thing? He opens the note and it says, can you please pass this to Laserbeam? My son wants his signature. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's the sign of the times, right? You know, we're, we're starting to see these kind of things come up and, you know, I guess I feel like a broken record a lot of the time. And, you know, people like us for so long are saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this market. You know, you need to look at it. This is the future, et cetera. Do you, do you ever feel like, A, you're pushing a rolling boulder uphill and B, sometimes that, that maybe you are wrong or are you very confident? In well, listen, you, you know, you, you, almost, you almost have to kind of uh, defer a little bit to where you come from and where I come from, right? I mean, you've been in it for a much longer time than I have and you're much, much, much smarter than I am and probably have dealt with a lot more, <laughs> a lot more of the struggles um, that, that a lot of people don't see. Um, I'm, I'm here and I've got an Space because I do know the I do know the, the the comments that come out. This isn't a sport. This isn't real. This is all you know. It's just mm. this is just a fad. Whatever you want to call it. I'm here to actually to to insert myself and to push through those. I, you know, I, it's it's only been a, a couple really a couple months for me, but you know, I'm to the point where my mindset is that you're just wrong if you say that. So I, I no longer, I no longer engage. Mm. Um, and it's not worth my time because I think the, you know, literally when you put the, the Fortnite world cup, yes, was, was seen. So, uh, on such a wide national scale, but you know, it's been around for so much longer than that. And prize pools have been, uh, so large and crowds have been so massive. Uh, and the passion behind this thing has been so just, so intoxicating that you know spending time on people that still don't believe that this is real this is exciting this is innovative this is going to improve cognitive skills this is going to improve team building skills this is a whole new way to go to college um Mm. you know that there's just i don't find a ton of benefit in wasting my time on people who are just so close-minded that they never want to they never want to buy in right it's almost like the people that didn't want to believe in the internet for a bit <laughs> in my head mm, and mm. then we are where we are now so that's kind of where my, my where my mind is on and and where's your focus on this you know market there seems to be ripe for opportunity in so many different areas um, the market is quite infant in in so many different sections of the industry which means it can be hard to make money over that period of time while it scales up you know what's most interesting to you right now um, you know the overall the overall um, uh, theme of growth is very interesting to me. I, I've been kind of I like to say that I've been doing business development for 26 years because I've uh, I've got a lot of relationships and I've made a lot of friends and I've got a lot of great networks whether they're in traditional sports, financial services, um, and now esports. That I believe that I'm a, a, a an interesting connection point between a couple different industries. 
and mm-hmm. um, you know, really focusing on on the growth of the space, the overall growth. I think monetization uh, needs a little bit of work. I think there's a lot of streamers out there, uh, a lot of streamers, a lot of professional players who um, are working very, very hard on the the streams and the and, and the communities that they're building, and may not be seeing every dollar that they earn. Um, and I, there, I think there's just a, there's a bummer, you know, it's a bummer in that. Um, it's not a great, that's not great English, but, uh, it's, it's a, it's a bummer to see that, uh, because, uh, these, these guys work very, very hard to build what they've built and, and, um, to not see every dollar that, that you've worked towards, um, is unfortunate. So I think the overall theme of growth in this space and, and helping young streamers or young gamers to kind of get over the fact that, yes, I've reached now 10,000 followers, but okay, now what do I do with that? Where do I go from there? What do I, what do I do with my, with my personal brand? What do I do with my career? Because at the end of the day, you know, what's the average age here, uh, you know, of, of a pro player, 16 to 21, is that the average right now? Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. So there's just an entire other world that comes up. You know, that's 21. You got <laughs> you got a lot of time left after that. You know, mm, definitely. And and it, I guess it's 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 uh, timely that you mentioned the influencer things. Some of the discussions we had, you know, off microphone and and previously, I feel like you know, as of the last week or so, trying to put together a, a brief in the market for a, an 18 plus product um, within the gaming industry, there are so many influencer managers out there. And so many team owners that are chasing the dollar without thinking about the process to get there. They're wanting to secure first and ask questions later. So unfortunately, you know, I've been trying to put together a a brief, fortunately because it's business, unfortunately because of the result, is that we've been trying to put together a brief for an 18 plus product. And we've had a lot of issue working with these influencer managers who will confirm they can do the campaign without asking the influencers first. So when it comes time to deliver, you know they they're going back or time to time to sign the contracts they can't do so they're providing um, people who aren't suitable for example i'm looking at someone to educate their viewers on this product so they're providing people who don't even talk or don't use a face cam or don't interact with their audience they're providing people who are under the age of 18 etc and i find it really interesting and i think i think this is a big part of what i see all the time with esports teams when they were pitching me working at corsair they're saying, hey, Corsair, if you send me um, a bunch of money and products, I will use it to then grow into the future to become someone worth sponsoring. And for me, it's saying, hey, I'm a sponsor, not an investor. I need some ROI now and then also the potential for growth into the future. And I'm finding these very interesting similarities between these kind of markets of people that are seeing the money. They're seeing how they easy they think it is, how Ninja's doing deals with Uber Eats and his doing things at the Super Bowl and, you know, these kind of massive events, they think, man, I want a slice of that pie without understanding the amount of work, effort, and also, you know, meticulous care that needs to go into making sure that these things are an actual success. Rather than sign and see, it's let's plan before we sign. You know, another thing, just in, in regards to all of that, what, you know, when, when you, what's, what's the number of, of, of um, revenue that comes from sponsorship in esports right now is it is it it's got to be at close to 50 percent it's got to be yeah so the the general statistics say about 70 to 80 but in developing markets like australia it's 90 percent plus right so and, and and i think one of the the stigmas about like i said earlier esports needing to follow the traditional sports model and that'll that, that revenue will switch shift into media at some point i, I kind of disagree i think that you know 
I don't, I don't know if media will ever top sponsorship dollars in esports, at least not anytime soon. But I think that leads mm-hmm. back into the power influencers have, right? And I think that also leads back to uh, another unfortunate part of the world is that sometimes there's just bad people in the world. And when you've got a young influencer who's maybe 14, 15, 16, who's built a massive following playing the world's most popular video game, and they get, you know, they've got a YouTube channel up to 200,000 followers and an Instagram up to 300,000 followers. There's a lot of brands that are willing to throw product and dollars at that, um, you know, at that young kid uh, in, in regards to get their product on, you know, on a, on a national scale and on, on, on eyes worldwide. Mm. And when some of those young kids sign on with managers, talent managers who, you know, are able to maybe take advantage. Um, I think that so- sometimes that can get a little wonky. I think you, you're now bumping into more and more, uh, unfortunate contract stories about people who are, are not seeing their, their full, you know, their full payout. So hmm. that's just kind of part that, that stuff that'll come, you know, that's just kind of the, a little bit of the immature state as these kids are starting to make so much more of an impact. Um, but, uh, you know, that, I think that stuff will all get, get hammered out as, as, uh, companies like WME and CAA start to build out more and more divisions dedicated to, uh, dedicated to esports and dedicated to gaming. Yeah. And I think it's an, it's an education piece um in a, in a different couple of ways so number one is that i can see why people think this i used to think this in the past myself with influencers yeah i'll just sign on a hundred of them they'll get inbound requests i'll just sign them off i'll make my 15 percent, and then you know drive off the sunset with my ferrari <laughs> unfortunately that's not the truth um and you know there's there's a lot of work that's that's required into these pitching keeping them happy and understanding what the influencer wants to sign on and what they want to do and also, it's opened up a thing that I needed to learn in the past couple of years, and I think a lot of my other colleagues in esports need to learn, is that sometimes it's better to pay a premium to get a full stack service. Sometimes it's better that a brand will pay even a 200% premium to sponsor a traditional sporting company instead of esports because it's safer or it's better to do a billboard campaign because they're discounted heavily right now right. rather than working with your influencer. Or one thing that we're coming up against a lot with influencer pitches is it's better for them to pump money into Google ads. You know, I've got a bunch of brands here in Australia, one that spends 1.25 million AD a year as a retailer on Google ads, another that spends over a million dollars a month on Google ads. For both of them, they are both very hesitant to spend even $5,000 on an influencer campaign. Because most of these influencers you cannot prove, and especially esports teams, you cannot prove to them what the direct ROI is going to be, what the sales is going to be. So if you're a small-ish, you know, small to medium-sized business who's spending $1.25 million a year on Google Ads, you've got, you know, maybe between 20 to 50 employees, both full-time and casual, which they do, I can see exactly where they're coming from. If I'm coming to them and saying, hey guys, um, give me some money for this guy, he's cool, he wears Yeezys, he makes some funny content, he makes people laugh, he says some swear words every now and then, um, and you're going to pay just to have access to talk to him, is essentially what they're being offered a lot of the time. So, you know, these ROI-based campaigns are something that's, you know, being magical too. And I, I talked about this on LinkedIn recently. If you can find influencers that have a proven history in ROI, thankfully I've found a couple of them, hold on to them as tight as you can and push them as hard as you can to do as much work with them as you can. You know, I've got one influencer collective here based in Australia where one of their influencers alone sold 20 
sorry, sold 15,000 products at $29.99 USD with free shipping over 20 hours. So the conversion is ridiculous. So when you find someone like that, hold on as tight as you can and go for a ride. And I think, and, and, and there's a lot of value in, in obviously in ROI, but also teaching ROI. You know, I think there, there's, a, there's a ton of value in esports education right now, but also teaching young streamers and, and guys who have built massive followings and massive communities, teaching them the meaning of ROI to help them create that value for themselves for when brands reach out and they want to engage and they want to engage with this new young demographic. Um, I think that, you know, teaching that ROI, teaching that, that's, I'm telling you, I'm giving you your, your million, million dollar idea right now. Just go start, teaching <laughs> go start teaching that stuff, uh, and you'll then then I'll see you in your Ferrari one day driving off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! It'll probably be a Tesla. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I I wanted to continue the conversation around the traditional sporting angle and something that we started talking about a little bit off microphone, and I think we need to talk about it a bit on microphone. The intersection between traditional sports and doing sports games, esports. Is it the only path they should go down? Have you seen some fantastic examples of traditional sports ignoring um, sporting games and going in other directions? Is there an answer either way? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, I think the game that really has the best opportunity of, of doing, uh, you know, the, the team that does that, to, sorry, excuse me, the sport that does that to, the best is soccer. I think FIFA is such an international game. It's a global game. Um, the, the league that they built is very powerful. It's very well done. It's very well received. Um, and it has, it has that following as, as being probably as, as the most popular sports game in the world. Um, I think that Madden from a personal standpoint is such a, you know, uh, the football being the U S based sport that it is not having as, as big of a following globally as, as soccer does. Um, I think it's, it's doing a fi- just a fine job where it is. I don't think the NFL needs to necessarily get more integrated. Um, that being said, it, it, it is going to, I know um, they, the NFL hired Rachel Hoagland to build out the Madden series and the championship series. Um, will it get to the size of FIFA one day? Uh, probably not. I doubt it. I'd rather see teams, integrate with the games that are popular, the games that are more fun, the Fortnite, the Apex Legends, um, you know, Rocket Leagues. I'd rather see them integrate with those games as opposed to play the traditional sport that they're already playing. Now, that being said, I think there's a lot, you know, you can do a lot with those events. You know, you put some, you know, God, you put Tom Brady playing as the Patriots and Matt against one of his fans, you know, and you do a free giveaway to do that. I mean, Boy, you could do you could do a lot with that type of stuff. But um, in regards to league based stuff and, and, and pro series, um, you know, I don't think there's a, a ton of correlation between a traditional sport and that particular esport. Yeah, and I think you know, soccer slash football, depending where you're from, is is a fantastic example of that. There are companies um, in in the space like Quati, whose whole job it is is to get these traditional sports teams into that. You know, there's massive support in Australia here with the A-League. They have their own E-League. In their first season, I'm told that the E-League got more digital views than the A-League did. So that's either fantastic or terrible, depending on which way you look at it, um, on depending on whose metrics you're measuring. But, you know, we've got all of the professional teams here have one to two players. I believe it's two, you know, that are competing for them. They're going overseas. You know, they're playing. You're seeing like, uh, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, PSG, LGD, doing fantastic in the Dota market outside of the sports game. 
you're seeing like Brompby with their own esports team uh, from overseas in Europe, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's some great movement in there. My only concern with the space is that there are so many car brands that are putting all of their money and attention into sim racing, which I feel is like a niche market within a niche market without providing, like we were discussing before, the proper products and support and branding recognition towards this new market that they're becoming involved in. Do you see that as an issue or am I maybe calling it too early? There's still definitely time for them to diversify. It was funny. This is what I, this was the, this is the, what I was going to bring up. I'm glad you, you, you said this. I think the whole e-racing thing is incredibly fascinating. I, I, I don't know the exact names of who was beaten the other day, but somebody beat somebody on a time trial the other day, didn't they? Um, Somebody, there was a form. There was a Formula One driver that got beaten in a yeah. kind of a time trial race a few months ago by a, a you know an esports sim racer driver in a real car on a yes. real track. I, I think I find that to be very very interesting. Um, I mm. think that that's one of the um, unique parts about this space and this industry right now that really kind of almost puts you in it a little bit and gets you as close to to vr and ar about five or five to six or seven years early um so uh, you know i don't necessarily know how you how you you figure that out i know formula one's uh, trying to lead the charge on it and and, and is doing a good job Mm. with with the league that they've built i actually find that uh space to be incredibly interesting not interesting not one that i actually know a ton about but um, I saw just a couple articles recently, and I, I'm actually, it's funny right up because I really want to learn more about it. Yeah, some of the numbers I have here in front of me, there's a Business Wire article that we'll put in the show notes. So if anyone hits, heads to bigesports.gg forward slash 49, you can see this as we're talking about it by Technavio. And they published a report on the global gaming simulator market from 2017 to 21. So this is only simulators. In 2016, um, racing simulators were 11.41% of the market, where shooting's at 32.4 and fighting's at 34.36%. I guess my only concern is that some brands like Porsche have stated that, you know, this is their play into the new markets um, when, you know, it's, it's once again, it's a niche within a niche. And it's very impressive. There are some very industry leader first movers here in Australia with modem sims who have many traditional professional racing drivers are using their eight access pneumatic plus VR simulators to train for real racing events, which is awesome. But I wonder whether people are being educated or understand the difference between simulators, esports, and gaming, who are three often different things. I see. I understand what your, what, what your concern is. Mm. You know, I just think about like me personally right now as a traditional sports guy, as someone who went to four consecutive Indy 500s back, uh, Back in the day, back I was I was a lot younger. I think I was like eleven and twelve. Someone who's always loved Formula One was obsessed with that new LinkedIn series. Sorry, LinkedIn, <laughs> that new Netflix series that just came out. From me, a personal standpoint, a tradi- born and raised traditional sports guy, I would I would go and watch um, guys racing in simulators um, because mm-hmm. I think I could find it more relatable and something that I could I could do for fun and, and get more and tune with and actually something that i could probably do with my dad um so i actually find it to be interesting i find the play to be interesting will will it work out and and you know are those those lines going to get a little blurred probably a little bit um but i think it's i think it leans more on the side of good than it does bad if that if that answers your question that might be a little more direct 
No, that's fine. And look, I don't want to sound too doom and gloom about it because if anything else, these brands getting into computers and games in some way, form or another will mean that they're more educated, they have a buy-in and then they'll start looking, okay, we've locked off this, what's next in their market? I definitely think that. But, you know, I guess I don't want to sound, like I said, too doom and gloom. It's just a no, yeah, and, 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 and right, it's an like, interesting thing. Right, and like play to your strengths, right? You know, it's like, okay, this is this is the play right now. This is what we have to do. That you know, this this gives this gives the fan who isn't going to hop in the car, or maybe doesn't even want to hop in the car, a chance to be get exposure to the sport that we love so much and that we care so much about building. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, it's 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 a dangerous sport too. So if this is their way of building out another element, and giving fans exposure to something that they work so hard to build in a safer environment, I think that's another way to look at it too. That's just a it kind of brings out a, a broader fan base of someone who maybe. Doesn't want to hop in a car that goes freaking 500 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And look, for, for anyone listening to this who wants to hear from the inside, go back about a dozen episodes. I talked to Simon from Altus Esports, who's a um, competitive real racing driver himself, also works in modem simulation and runs his quite successful esports iRacing or you know e-racing team. And you can hear a bit of the insights on that market. So I'd love to, I guess, wrap this up a little bit with getting some predictions from you, Herb, mate. What are you What are you really interested in right now? What are you looking at mostly? We've talked a bit about teams, events, leagues, facilities, traditional sports. We've talked about rappers investing in esports. You know, what have you really got your eye on or what are you hoping that comes out next? Oh, you know, LinkedIn. It's all I care about. It's all I, it's all I really want. <laughs> Whatever. Um, no, I, um, you know, I think... I get that hashtag esports trending, right? <laughs> I, I told him in one of my YouTube videos, I'm like, listen, I know when people aren't doing it, I gave that device away for free. You'll always see me on the esports uh, hashtag on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, you know, I th- think the collegiate esports space is something I'm very, very interested in seeing uh, kind of what happens with the NCAA passing on... I'm kind of monitoring it. Um, you've got a bunch of different leagues uh, that are being built around the emerging space. Uh, I'm very interested to see how uh, how schools continue to build out their programs, what schools kind of start to get involved in an official capacity. If this grows into something that starts to pack out stadiums, if there are full rides, get you know more. Sorry, I should say more full rides given. Uh, you know, there's there was four million dollars of esports scholarships given out last year in the United States. There's 1,600 schools that actually have programs mm. um, and clubs uh, within that just aren't necessarily supported by the university. Um, I think this is a whole new way to go to college, and and you know, there's a there's a big factor of you know, I want to be the you know, I want to be Nick Merckx. I want to be uh, Dr. Lupo. I want to, you know, I want to skip and go right to the fame. <clears throat> but I think as, as people start to learn is that that's very, very difficult. Um, and going to college uh, is is going to be another outlet here. And there will be a, a kind of a generation that starts to learn that this is another outlet to get them there. Mm-hmm. And how that gets them there, I think is still yet to be determined. Um, and I, there's a, you know, Wim Stocks from the Collegiate Star League is doing some awesome things, but I think it's still got a ways to go. Um, but still a very, very exciting uh, section of the industry that I think um, will do some cool things for, for a lot of people. And how about yourself personally? What's coming up next for Herb May? Oh, boy. All sorts of fun stuff. I'm working a couple cool projects. Uh, you know, um, Access, I really do believe in, in, in the, the model that Access Replay has built. 
Um, I'm very high on some of these platforms that are helping streamers monetize their streams. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think down the down the line, I think I might want to dive into the ownership pool and, and and hopefully build out an organization one day. That's that's a kind of an internal dream. Um, and then you know, once I'm sixty or seventy, I'll go back and buy the Baltimore Ravens. Go back to the, <laughs> to the beginning. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds like a bit of a Gary Vee strategy right there. <laughs> Come on, don't expose me like that. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, someone wants to follow you on, on LinkedIn to read about your hashtag esports trending or YouTube or wherever else online, where's the best place to do so? I am Herb May on LinkedIn. There's two of me. Uh, there's, a much, uh, not, there's another Herb May who's not as good looking as I am, who's my father. Um, but uh, just go follow the one that... Uh, is involved in all things esports, and then I'm herb.may.41 on Instagram and at herbie h e r b i e m a y on Twitter. And for a final parting gift, is there any podcast or book that you suggest our listeners look into? Besides yours? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just started listening to a new podcast uh, called the CMO Podcast, which is uh, Jim Stangle. I've become obsessed with how uh, you know uh, these CMOs connect their brands to their consumers, mm-hmm. um, and he he interviews some amazing CMOs, and it's it's really really fascinating. And then, yeah, I'm a huge Gary Vee fan. I, I love everything that he does. He supports that podcast as well. So um, I always listen to Gary Vee, and then. Um, yeah, the CMO podcast with uh, Jim Stengel uh, was, is, is one of my favorites right now. Fantastic, Herb. Mate, thanks for taking the time to join us today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the U.S. summer. You are the man, brother. I'm a huge fan of everything that you do. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. And look, for anyone listening today, um, I definitely think you should go back and take a look at exactly how long Herb has been in esports and how much he's achieved in that period of time. He's the epitome of networking and grinding to reach those contacts to make sure you know, that you get on podcasts like this, that you reach hashtag esports trending on LinkedIn and all of these things that on the surface may seem a little bit cringy or dumb, but actually mean so much to your career and and moving forwards. All right. Fantastic, Herb. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you to the listeners for listening in to the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 49. For any of the show notes today, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 49. We'll include links to what we talked about, access to Herb, and also the topics mentioned and discussed. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week with another podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 